Come on in. Welcome to our home for Soul Talks with Bill and Christy Galtier, the weekly podcast of Soul Shepherding Incorporated. We're excited to share with you a mini-series of life-changing thoughts from Dallas Willard, who entered eternal glory on May 8th, 2013. This series of podcasts are inspired by Dallas's recent book, Life Without Lack, and his biography. I was blessed to be personally mentored by Dallas over a number of years. He coached me in applying his teaching to my personal life and our ministry to pastors and leaders. Thanks for joining our conversations with Christ, our Good Shepherd. I'm going to give a shout out to our friend, Teresa Shades in Seattle, Washington, who contacted us recently. Hi, Teresa. It's been fun getting to know Teresa. She found us when she was getting her doctorate and doing her dissertation mm-hmm. on uh, contemplative prayer, came to one of our Soul Shepherding Institute retreats. Yeah, Teresa, we, we appreciate hearing from you. She says that uh, Psalm 23 never stops giving. Thank you, Christy, for the Selah episode. I am refreshed and eager for this day. And uh, we also did a second Psalm 23, uh, Selah, on the Shepherd's Psalm, Life Without Lack, because uh, Psalm 23 is one of Dallas Willard's favorite psalms, and he meditated on it every day. And we are in a series uh, talking about Dallas Willard and uh, his uh, Life Without Lack that he lived and, and taught us. And we uh, love taking Dallas's teachings and bringing those to to you, our soul shepherding community. One of the ways that we do that is through teaching on empathy and um, many different aspects of our spiritual psychology. And we're going to be up with uh, Teresa and uh, her colleague, Wes Johnson. They both have doctorate degrees in uh, spiritual formation and leadership. And we're going to be speaking at their uh, conference, Awakenings Prayer Institute, uh, September 15 and 16 in 2018 on Befriending Our Emotions which is a language for the importance of empathy and that relational, um, personal bonding that we need in our relationships. We'd love to have any of you in our Soul Shepherding community join us and even bring a friend. We've got a hotel with discount reservations there on the water in Everett, Washington. And we always love hearing from you in our, our Soul Talks community. We've been having fun interacting with you on social media as just this last week, our first grandbaby was born. Juliet. Yeah. We got to be there to celebrate her birth and we've been enjoying bonding with her. Yeah. So uh, we love hearing from you on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And some of you have appreciated the the pictures of Juliet and the, the radiant faces that we have around her looking into her eyes and calling her into life and into being through our interest and uh, our, of course, our, our touch and soothing voices and empathy. It begins right at birth, and that's where the bonding starts. Well, I think everybody's favorite photo is that one of you just looking into Juliet's eyes and her looking back at you and you delighting in her and her just receiving that because you are already being an ambassador for Christ, showing her Papa love, that that love and delight. And we need that. And we talked last week about how sometimes we don't get that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the good news is it's not too late and we can be wounded healers. God can use even even that. I think a lot of us are wounded healers in this area of nurture and uh, tenderhearted listening and compassion and bonding. Uh, Nobody gets that perfectly. So we all all have some deficits and uh, it's really important that we attend to that 
And you and I have attended to that as part of our training as therapists and getting our doctorates in psychology, but going through our own therapy and mm-hmm. uh, marriage counseling, receiving spiritual direction, having mentors in our life, and then just in the course of our own soul friendship and, and other friends, really learning to uh, give and receive the gift of listening and tenderhearted care so that we're uh, fully alive emotionally. And that has a huge impact on our relationship with God and our ministry and our leadership. Yes, it does. And so this was an area that, that Dallas was wounded. We talked about that uh, last week, and uh, Dallas is a wounded healer for rejection, the abandonment that he experienced as a child. And coming out of that, he developed quite a honing device for hurting people. Mm. Uh, he was just so tuned into, uh, concerned about, and tender towards yes. people, whether it was students, um, most of whom were not Christians, but would have questions for him or go through hard things, and they would meet with Dallas and, and experience the presence of Christ, mm-hmm. uh, even just in his classroom where he was in a, a context of teaching philosophy to uh, uh, students. It wasn't a, a Christian context, so he wouldn't be a preacher and he wouldn't be um, putting Jesus out there front and center, uh, except as it was a question that the student asked or an appropriate to the context and looking at sort of Jesus as a, as a teacher, as a philosopher. But people, uh, just over the years, so many students reported experiencing the, the, the gentleness of Jesus, the, the tender compassion of God in Dallas and the way that he dealt with the students. And uh, then even outside of his, his teaching context, he had a whole other ministry to men and women in ministry, uh, people in churches where he would travel around and speak and wrote his books and would respond to people and just uh, so many people. Uh, talked about Dallas's peaceful, gentle way with them and the way that he would listen. And you and I experienced many hours of that and were super blessed by Dallas's presence and the way that God used him as a wounded healer. I think that the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 1 are so important here and very uh, descriptive of Dallas. Uh, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance. And so our hope for and joy for you is firm. And so these are great words from the Apostle Paul and just love how Dallas embodied that and, and taught us to do the same, to be wounded healers. One of the areas where he was really wounded was in receiving criticism from others. He, he underwent quite a bit of criticism from his colleagues. Yeah, so early on is uh, getting his PhD in philosophy, which is a daunting task, and then establishing himself uh, at USC as a professor was uh, quite quite difficult. And uh, in the uh, Becoming Dallas Willard biography, Gary Moon reports on this and talks about the the great difficulties that that Dallas had. He uh, was criticized a number of times. He uh, had anxiety and he had migraine headaches. Uh, around all the pressure to uh, excel and to be a great thinker and uh, particularly being a Christian in that context. And 
the Dallas's understanding of philosophy was uh, different than the prevailing uh, school of thought in philosophy uh, in that time and even in, in this day today. And Dallas was very much a, a realist uh, as opposed to someone that was uh, thinking uh, reality was pretty much all subjective in people's experience. And so he was uh, always on the defensive in his context, but yet he learned to not um, operate as though he was being defensive or insecure, but to find his security in the Lord. He did. His words in Divine Conspiracy on receiving condemnation have been so helpful to me. He, he says, when we enter the life of friendship with Jesus, who is now at work in our universe, we stand in a new reality where condemnation is simply irrelevant. There is before God, Paul says, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 8. He says, as for the condemnation we receive from others, I endeavor not to receive it, to just ignore it or drop it. I've learned to look at it only while simultaneously holding a full view the fact that Jesus, so far from condemning me, died for me and is right now intervening on my behalf in the heavens. This helps me stay out of counter-condemnation with its pain and anger. Who is this one condemning me, I ask, when set beside the one who does not condemn me? I think I shall not be depressed about this condemnation of me then, especially since I know that nothing can separate me from the eternal love of Christ. And in this context, it seems only intelligent just to have done with the whole condemning game. Yeah, so Dallas uh, went, went deep into God's grace and the peace of Christ that uh, guards his heart. And he, he went on a healing journey through, through the scriptures, through the life of prayer, uh, through uh, his relationships, especially with his wife, Jane. And so he became someone that was not uh, governed by judgment and criticism and condemnation. And even when he experienced that, he learned to stand secure in the presence of the risen Christ. And we saw this. I mean, you, you saw him undergo some criticism and some, some challenge from, from people at times. Yeah, one example that was in the monastery class uh, in the Fuller Theological Seminary's Doctor of Ministry program. I audited that class because I already had a doctorate, and I was just glad to get in and spend two weeks with Dallas uh, there in the monastery and all of his teaching. And so there were about 20 pastors in the room, and uh, most of them were, were fairly new to Dallas's ministry, maybe read one of his books or something. But uh, yeah, at one point, one of the students was uh, critical that Dallas wasn't giving more like stories, but was giving us teachings from the Bible and so forth. And he wanted to hear, well, how is this working for you? And was taking some some shots at Dallas, a little little frustrated. And Dallas stood there just in you know a characteristic uh, warmth and, and gentleness, a real uh, calmness and contentment. And he stood there, he had his hands behind his back, which I... Uh, learned was something that he did as a, as a discipline to be in an open, non-defensive posture. And he just gave the student empathy uh, right there with just with the whole class. And then uh, as the class proceeded from there, Dallas told more stories mm. from his life to mm. serve that student. Mm. And he, there was just no counter-criticism, no frustration even. He was just uh, generous and gracious with that person. Yeah. Typically, when we are criticized, we can be tempted to respond either defensively and kind of power up and try to put 
the person who's criticized us in their place, or sometimes uh, maybe withdraw and shame mm-hmm. and kind of cut the person off or, or hide and not continue to offer ourselves to, to people because, you know, we kind of just go away wounded um, or maybe to get passive aggressive, put a shot in there, you know, in a different way at a different time. Uh, but you know, those those are temptations of ways that we can react in our flesh and in, in, in our sinful nature. Yeah, I'm a wounded healer in the area of criticism. I, I know this well, and uh, I've gone in the past. I've gone down paths of uh, getting just uh, overcome with my own ambition and relentless drive to to be more successful and more accomplished in order to ward off those. Feelings of criticism or, or the slights and judgments that I've received from people. And it's an, it's an empty, exhausting road. Yeah. I mean, you really are a wounded healer in this area because I've seen this because I've been a source of criticism in your life. And I've seen the change in you from how you used to respond in the early years of our marriage when I would criticize you, uh, even condemn you, and how you got to the point where you would respond with grace and with empathy and patience and love. It was a pretty big difference. (laughs) Well, one of the ways was I I learned from Dallas. So one of Jesus' teachings that Dallas makes a big deal about is bless those that curse you. Mm -hmm. And until I heard Dallas really unpack that and talk about, well, how would you actually become the kind of person who would do that? I, I just hadn't taken that seriously. I mean, I'd I'd read it uh, tons of times and I understood that that would be a good thing and I saw Jesus do it, but it didn't really, uh, it wasn't something I really grasped or put before myself as a vision to become that kind of a person. It was just sort of like, well, that's good and I should try to do that. Uh, But uh, most of the time I don't and so I need forgiveness. That was sort of my mentality. But the way Dallas uh, taught me that, it's like I began to see, no, actually by the power of God's grace at work in me, I could become more and more like that. I could become so filled and overflowing with the, the blessings of God's goodness and kindness and mercy that I, I could, when, when someone criticizes me or judges me or cuts me off on the freeway or slanders me or gossips about me or does something that's hurtful to me that feels like a curse to me, that I, I could think about and feel about, well, what does this person need? I could have empathy for that person, mm-hmm. and I, I could be generous to to pray for them, to to give the gentle answer that turns away wrath, to do something well, kind for that person. Bill, you had this vision early from Jesus, because I remember when you were just a 20-year-old working in a computer room, doing backups on computer while you were getting your doctorate, um, there was someone who was, who was cursing you. She was difficult that you were working with, and I was at college, um, finishing up my senior year, and you would write me about the difficulties and you would write me about your efforts to bless her as she was cursing you and to love her, even though she felt like your enemy. And you were really practicing that back then, but it didn't get, and it, it was helpful. You know, it made a difference in that relationship over time. She began to respond to that and your relationship with that, with her changed. But, you know, it didn't get so deeply pervaded into your character that it actually really radically changed how you responded to me where, I mean, here we are in an intimate relationship where I have, you know, great power to hurt you with criticism. 
Well, in my younger years, when I would be gracious with someone who was being difficult, it was a lot about my straining and trying to do the right thing, uh, which is not a bad thing. That's a good thing, but it's just not sustainable. And so I was, I was more inconsistent in my ability to bless the one who cursed me because it was uh, too much dependent upon my own effort. Not completely, of course, because I, you know, I'm Christian and Holy Spirit lives in me and I've done many things already in my discipleship to Jesus to, to grow in grace. But uh, there was much deeper work that the Spirit needed to do in me, and that, that came through, uh, as I mentioned earlier, being in counseling, and, and a lot of the spiritual formation training came through, through Dallas. Uh, because in those earlier years, what I was very prone to do in the situation that you're describing there would, would be to internalize the, the stress, mm-hmm. uh, the frustration, and my anger. Yeah. And maybe it wouldn't show outwardly with that person because I would still mm-hmm. be kind. But on the inside, I, w- I would get sort of depressed and, mm-hmm. and de-energized. Yeah. And there'd be a smoldering of some resentment in there that I wasn't even conscious of. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, when you get into the, the context of an intimate relationship like marriage or a close mm-hmm. friendship, uh, then you, if you're internalizing the stress, it's going to show up. Mm-hmm. The, the anger is going to come out of you, the, the insensitivity. You're not going to be consistent with that. And so that's where we need the inner transformation that Dallas taught. And he modeled to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think he it's, had to learn first. Yeah. Yes, and it's it's so uh, encouraging to see in Dallas that uh, he is following in the way of Jesus as, as as Paul did, and as Paul writes about there in Second Corinthians one, living in the overflow of God's comfort, so that we're we're not just reacting to situations and stressors and injustices in sort of the natural human way, but we're able to respond supernaturally in the power of, of God, his love, because we've been formed on the inside. So there's so many examples of this in Dallas's life, you know, how he dealt with uh, having been criticized. And of course, he experienced criticism throughout his life, um, particularly by some fundamentalist Christians, uh, as well as by the some of the liberal uh, secular philosophers and uh, even atheists who, you know, would very much come against him and debate him. And uh, that was a fun thing to see. Dallas in debates, you know, he, he didn't try to win the debate. He he tried to love the person mm-hmm. yeah. and, and let, let Jesus do the winning. Yeah. And he always uh, de-escalated the, the tensions mm-hmm. when there was disagreement. Yeah. And he just would calmly, you know, speak the truth and and do it with consideration for the other person. He would listen to the other person and he just didn't battle people. You know, but but he he battled inwardly, especially earlier in life, because he, as a young person, you know, he had some ambition. He he confessed uh, to having some vanity. Times he, of course, felt anger. Um, uh, even even as a parent, in becoming uh, Dallas Willard, there's a story where uh, Dallas apologized to his son John for uh, spanking him too much as a boy, and very very tender uh, scene there. And John forgave him, and but Dallas was tearful, so he went back to his son and said, "You know, I just got too frustrated with you uh, as a parent." And uh, so, you know, Dallas was uh, very much in process, and he let the Lord shape him. And regarding that ambition, another story there is. Because he had trouble saying no, and uh, so many opportunities that came his way, so he developed a, a committee of people and uh, 
His wife, Jane, and daughter, Becky, were on that committee. And I think Jane formed that to try to help him. It was one of her ways of trying to help him to have some boundaries. Yeah, it, but he, he cooperated with that and took advantage of that. And so they had these regular meetings. Uh, his pastor was in that group and uh, Jan Johnson and Keith Edwards, uh, two close friends and colleagues. And so they would meet and, and talk about Dallas's schedule. And it was a way for Jane to have uh, some help with uh, all, all that Dallas was doing and to keep Dallas um, uh, more uh, attentive uh, as, as much as could be. Because he was, as we said before, dealing with that, that workaholism tendency that he had had as a young person and his huge capacity for work. But that was a way that he uh, was calming down that ambition. But it was a fine line mm-hmm. because on the other side... Uh, because of Dallas's tender heart, he very much practiced the teachings of Jesus. And this is something else I never heard anybody talk about in this way. But, you know, Jesus says, give to the one who asks of you. And so Dallas comes along and says, okay, well, how would you actually do that? Yeah. How would you become the kind of person who has a bias towards just giving to the one who asks? I mean, you know, there's a time that you need to say no, of course. But, I mean, I saw Dallas do this. Mm-hmm. So I'm walking with him down the sidewalk at USC and somebody comes and asks for money. And Dallas, you know, pulls out some money and gives it to him. <laughs> doesn't ask about what he's going to do with it. He just generously gives it to him. And I was the beneficiary of that. I, I called up Dallas and asked to meet with him. And he said, yes. And so then I did it again and again and again. <laughs> and uh, he was just very uh, generous, yeah. very generous hearted. And what he was doing there, because I talked with him about that, is he was implementing Jesus' strategy of leadership development. You know, Jesus was very wise in the disciples that he picked, particularly the apostles, and he picked the ones who were highly motivated and eager, the ones who were asking, the ones who were coming towards him. Of course, that's not the only criteria. There are times to say no, we need to set boundaries, uh, but uh, to have a bias towards saying yes, Dallas uh, showed us that. Um, So, yeah. He did. Another story about Dallas uh, in terms of how he dealt with uh, criticism is that he didn't, uh, he didn't promote himself. He didn't seek to uh, push his spiritual formation books. In fact, he didn't even, not one of them did he uh, ask to write or solicit a manuscript to a publisher. His philosophy books, he did do that, but in the Christian arena, he only wrote a book when he was asked and prayed and, and felt like God led him to do that. And then he didn't, he didn't push his stuff. He didn't hawk it. He didn't market it. Well, and he also didn't hide it though, because he got criticism from the, the academics for his Christian books, kind of like C.S. Lewis did. You know, Dallas had some experience of that too. In fact, I, Jane was with her a couple of weeks ago and she was talking about how his experience really was kind of similar to C.S. Lewis's in that, and that how Dallas cared so much about the philosophers that he worked with, his colleagues, and he so longed for them to come to trust Christ that in his Christian books, he he really labored a lot over those and actually made those a little bit more um, heady and thick and dense than he would have otherwise because he was trying to keep that line where he could really have an impact in the Christian world, but also hopefully he, you know, if his colleagues were reading them, that they would benefit too. He was honoring his tradition, which is mm-hmm. something he taught me, is to on, honor our tradition, whether it's the, um, the, the church that we grew up in, the, the denomination, uh, our, our training, our school of thought. And he very much encouraged us to do that as doctors of psychology, 
And Dallas is a great model for that. He approached the, the Christian life uh, largely as a philosopher with that, that mindset. And so that's so helpful to us. You know, as a teacher, he gave the, the best graduate classes that were coveted by all the professors, and he had tenure, but he would let the younger professors take those classes. And he did that out of generosity, because there's that, again, that honing mm-hmm. device for the hurting. Yeah. He knows what it feels like to be a young uh, um, teacher, uh, a young doctor of philosophy mm-hmm. and trying to establish yourself. So much empathy for them and that, and so much humility. And he's, he's also calming down his own ambitions with that. Uh, maybe my favorite example is how Dallas would pray for uh, uh, competitors, mm. using that term sort of loosely there. But so let's say uh, when Dallas was at a conference and there were other speakers lined up to speak, he would pray for the other speakers to be uh, more effective, more, mm-hmm. more winsome, more intelligent, more successful, to receive more approval than him. Mm-hmm. When he would write uh, articles or chapters for books, which he did a lot of, to support other people's work, other people's books, when he could have been writing his own, mm-hmm. he helped others. And he would pray for the authors of the other chapters to shine over him mm-hmm. and, and his work. And so that, that generosity, and I, you know, I experienced that when he, I met with him and was uh, learning from him and he told me, well, Bill, you know, you don't need to quote me. Just take, take this idea and make it your own. If it's any good, it came from Jesus anyway. So he, he had a bias for, for saying yes and for being generous. And that was his honing device for the hurting. And it was also the way that he calmed down his own, uh, any uh, tendencies towards vanity or ambition always seeking to press into the reality of the risen Christ and find his security and his substance there. Jesus, we're so thankful to you for examples that you give us of your people who are growing in your likeness, who are showing us that you, Jesus, your instruction, your life really was for us to learn from. Oh, how we pray that you will continue to teach and train us, Holy Spirit, to be joyfully content in you, confident in you, to the point where we are able to not be uh, reactive to criticism, the place where we are able to stand in confidence in you, and places where we are able to love and bless those that curse us as you did. Thank you for your goodness and love. Amen. Amen. If you want to learn more about life and ministry with Jesus in the kingdom of God, consider Soul Shepherding's Institute in Spiritual Formation and Soul Care. In four week-long retreats over two years, we unpack the insights we've learned from Dallas Willard and others, along with our many years of ministry as doctors of psychology. Our retreats happen in a community of pastors and leaders. They feature guided soul talk, meditation on scripture, and quiet space in the beauty of God's creation. You can also earn a certificate in spiritual direction ministry. To learn more, visit soulshepherding.org.